And now a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, Follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son, from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, Can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. A man was being interviewed in front of a TV camera last week, while behind him, rioters were marching toward the Capitol building, shouting, chanting, some making obscene gestures at the camera. The camouflage-clad, gun-toting white supremacists who call themselves the Proud Boys were there. Members of the mob, they were carrying American flags and don't tread on me flags and Confederate flags and QAnon conspiracy flags and Trump flags. And then there was at least one flag I saw that just said, Jesus. Some people were carrying children. There were lots of Make America Great Again hats and signs and, and signs with Stop the Steal written with magic marker on corrugated cardboard. Next thing we know, we are told they had ascended the Capitol steps and breaking windows, and they're knocking down doors and illegally entering the Capitol building. The Capitol Police scuffle with the first intruders and then, overwhelmed, back off. At least one poses for a selfie with a couple of the domestic terrorists. The mob entered the Capitol as mobs do. They broke some things. They sat and put their feet up on desks. They showed blatant disrespect for the place and those who work there and for the American people. Their motive? Well, it seems it was to scare, to intimidate, to break down and tear up, to destroy, and ultimately to force the powers that be to give them what they want, which is to have the election overturned. The man being interviewed expressed the reason as he saw it for their outrage. The election of Joe Biden to the presidency was illegitimate, he said. 
Why? Because there was no way, according to this man, that he could have gotten 81 million votes and Trump only 74 million. How does this man know this? Well, Biden's rallies were too small, and Trump's rallies, on the other hand, were really big. So he must have won the election. The man also rattled off a, a half dozen or so of the so-called proofs, which are really conspiracy theories that the election was rigged or stolen, all of which have been debunked by audits and recounts and rejected by American courts. About two months ago, these folks received some news they just couldn't handle. Their candidate lost the election and his opponent won. They weren't prepared for it. They were certain that they would win, that they might lose had not even entered their consciousness. There was no place called lose on their mental map. Their loss left them lost. So when the final results were announced and all the challenges were rejected, tossed out, or proven to be fatuous, they were left with a profound sense of grief and loss with no preparation and no knowledge of how to handle it. And then their grief turned to anger, and their anger turned to violence, and they acted out and struck out at the closest and most visible objects of their frustrations. In other words, they threw a deadly tantrum. At least five people, I think it may be higher by this point, lost their lives, and at least one, possibly two police officers, as far as I know. Unfortunately, it was as predictable as it was inevitable for any who dared to see, to truly see it for what it was. And this week, as we all know, President Donald Trump became the first president in the history of our nation to be impeached for a second time in a bipartisan vote in the House because the House deemed him responsible for inciting this insurrection. How in the world do followers of a political leader, or any leader, any kind of leader for that matter, shift from being normal-seeming people to being misguided and then eventually removed from reality? This is the same kind of question, or questions, rather, that we ask when cults like those that followed David Koresh or Jim Jones or Charles Manson carried out violence in their names. How did these people convince themselves of their cause? These are the kinds of questions we ask after tragedies as well, like 911, where we see um, members of Al-Qaeda who must have convinced themselves that violence and murder would somehow be the answer for their cause. How in the world could Timothy McVeigh have become so deceived that he believed he was ridding the world of evil to blow up the Murrah Building in downtown Oklahoma City back in 1995, killing 168 people? Our text today from John 1, it began in verse 43. But just five verses before verse 43, where we began today, <clears throat> is actually where I... I find something that I think is very timely when we determine who to follow as a leader. <clears throat> Remember that story we read today about Jesus calling some of his disciples in John 1? 
Now, next week's text in Mark has a few discrepancies on a similar calling of a disciple story, but it doesn't negate the wisdom that John is offering in, then, in this gospel. So, again, before we go backward, let's start where we were. Here we are. We find Jesus recruiting disciples, those who would be his closest followers. Now, rewind just five verses earlier in this same chapter of chapter 1 in John's gospel, back in verse 38. John the Baptist is standing with a couple of his followers. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. Jesus keeps on walking by, but these two disciples of John the Baptist, they begin following Jesus on down the road. Now let me read you verse 38, which was Jesus' response to John the Baptist's disciples who were following him down the road. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Did you hear that question? What is very interesting to me is that this is the exact same question that Jesus asks of the soldiers who come to arrest him later in John's Gospel, chapter 18. It's also the exact same question to Mary in the garden that Jesus asks after the resurrection in John's Gospel, chapter 20. What are you looking for? That's an important question. Scholar Carloin Lewis says in her commentary on John's Gospel, holding all three of these occurrences of this phrase together points to a main issue for this Gospel, that Jesus is not a what, but a who, and who indicates relationship. So based not just on this passage from John's Gospel, but on these two other instances I mentioned, and then enlightened by Dr. Lewis's scholarship, I think it's safe to say that people tend to find exactly what they are looking for in a leader. Let's flesh this out and say it a few different ways so we might remember it well. People tend to find exactly what they're looking for in a leader. In other words, our expectations shape our destinations. Our desires determine our outcomes when it comes to looking for a leader. Our passions drive our purpose in following our leaders of choice. Now, does this remove all the responsibility from leaders then and put it all on the followers' shoulders? Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. Leaders bear even more responsibility than their followers because due to the nature of how these relationships work, followers have given a certain amount of themselves up and are at least partly vulnerable in this leader-follower type of relationship. What leaders do with the trust and vulnerability of their followers should be scrutinized very, very carefully and honestly. Now, to complicate matters, the truth is we don't always have control over who is offered to us as a leader in our various roles that we have in our lives, at our jobs, or for public office, 
Yes, even candidates for president of the United States in our homeowners association or elsewhere for that matter. Sometimes our choice, if you will, our candidate, to put it another way, for leader, they don't make it through the primaries in the political realm. Sometimes at our jobs, someone gets promoted to be our direct supervisor and we just, well, let's be honest, we don't like them very much and we don't trust them maybe. Sometimes, the truth is, annoying people, power-hungry people, lobby themselves and get elected to chair the Homeowners Association, and the reign of terror begins. We cannot always control who is placed above us in position of leadership. And we cannot, and in extreme cases, should not always follow in lockstep with those above us. In fact, sometimes, we need to resist certain parts of their leadership if we are to hold on to our integrity. This is why even followers of the same leader respond differently to the same leader's leadership. They came to the follower-leader relationship expecting and seeking different things. Now, tomorrow we will celebrate the life and ministry of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who spoke truth, often unpopular truth, to power in America. His good news for the poor and people of color was bad news to many of the powerful, the wealthy, the comfortable, and the privileged. Interestingly enough, Dr. King is far more popular today in America than he was when he was alive, particularly among white people, partly because his words have largely been whitewashed and removed from their context and pasted onto memes and graphics that hang nicely in offices and study rooms. But how many in his own day, saw him as a desirable leader to follow when he verbally, visibly condemned the profit motive in our capitalist society. He said, We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers Profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people. The giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. I can already hear some of the folks who marched on the Capitol last week calling him a socialist had they been in the audience. And then, of course, writing off anything he would have had to say and completely missing out on one of the most courageous, decidedly Christian, moral, ethical leaders in the history of our country and perhaps the world. As people who crave comfort more than the truth at times, we tend to define bad leaders by whether they share words and values that disappoint us, that challenge our assumptions, that require us to change our perspective, our understanding of the world and how it works. We tend to call folks good leaders when they affirm our assumptions, reinforce our prejudices, tell us that we are right and others are wrong, and make us comfortable with exactly who we are and what we already are. 
When we avoid the truth, objective reality, in favor of a version of the truth that better fits our warped sense of reality, that's when cult-like conditions are ripe. And when a leader, any leader, be it Donald Trump or David Koresh or Charles Manson or the pastor down the street, when any leader appeal to the most selfish desires of their followers, we often witness cult-like behavior in action. We have certainly seen cult-like behavior recently from some of President Trump's followers. His presidency, when viewed through the eyes of history, will likely be placed into dark and uncomfortable conversations alongside leaders whose names evoke some of the worst images in the history of the world, and not because he necessarily set out in the beginning to commit these atrocities, but because he did not do enough to dissuade those who carried out the atrocities we are witnessing in his name. You see, his rhetoric is on record. And whether we like it or not, words matter deeply. And the words of a leader in a position of authority like that matter even more. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus, and I could name many others, were leaders worth following. Their rhetoric is also on record, and their words show a great, great glimpse of love and compassion and justice to the whole of humanity, not just to their base. Speaking unpopular truth, now that's one thing, but being able to do it and love one's neighbor as these hard truths are spoken, now that's where great leaders, they show their credentials. Yet this is what good leaders do. In the rhetoric of our leaders, we find their values and the values that they seek to inspire in their followers. Leaders that are really worth following speak the truth, and they inspire the pursuit of objective reality among their followers. Immoral leaders rely upon conspiracy theories, fear, untruth, rumor, and the belittlement of those with whom they disagree. Leaders worth following do not pretend to own the truth, but instead good leaders know that the truth is a journey of discovery and not a predetermined destination. Let me say that again. Good leaders know that truth is a journey of discovery and not a predetermined destination. They know that the journey is even more valuable than the destination. And Jesus' disciples would follow him in circles mostly, for example. But what he taught them during those journeys together, that was transformative and priceless. Now in closing, I want to help you see something else that Jesus did in our text today as it pertains to leadership. Jesus did not condemn Nathaniel for his skepticism even though when Philip showed up exclaiming that Jesus was a, a real leader worth following, Nathaniel said, Can anything from Nazareth be good? Now, fortunately, Philip did not brush Nathaniel off, nor did he try and sell him on just how great Jesus was. 
and Jesus didn't try to put the hard sell on him. Philip said, come and see for yourself. Leaders worth following do not view those who are skeptical of their leadership as the enemy. They welcome them to just come and see for themselves. Now, as I share this message with you today, I realize I'm talking to many of you who lead, and many of us also lead and follow in different roles that we have in life. May God grant us the burning desire to continue loving the truth more than we love our own comfort with it. May our love for the truth lead us to embrace leaders worth following, to be leaders worth following, and the ability to discern which leaders in the future deserve our trust. In the name of the one from Nazareth, the one who beckons us still to follow the truth and promises us that when we do, we will see even greater things. Amen.